You're listening to the sermon podcast of Galveston Bible Church. If you'd like to check out more resources or donate to this ministry, please visit galvestonbible.org. But mostly, from wherever you're listening, we hope that the Lord ministers to you through this week's message. I'm going to ask you to turn your Bibles this morning to Ephesians chapter 4. We'll be looking again at verses 1 through 6. As always, I'm providing these little green sheets. These are the references. There's not many today. The references that we'll be looking uh, at. If you haven't gotten one, they should be on the table in the middle. Feel free to get up right now and and get one. Um, Ephesians chapter 4, verses 1 through 6 is where we are at today. Uh, What characterizes us as followers of Jesus? What characterizes us as people who are members of the family of God uh, is how we live in this world. How we live in this world characterizes whose family we are a part of. Uh, We are to live uh, in a way that demonstrates, as Christians, we are to, to live in a way that demonstrates that we are a part of the family of God. We're to live in a way that reflects the character of our Father in heaven. Uh, Ephesians chapters 4 through 6 specifically tell us how to do that. Uh, These chapters tell us what that actually looks like in day-to-day living. Uh, Here in Ephesians chapter 4 verses 1 through 6, what we see is we see the foundational characteristics of this life. Well, like I said, we're going to get into the specifics, how we should talk to one another, um, uh, how we should conduct our own lives. But here, these are the underlying fundamental characteristics of what it means to walk the Christian life. And we said last week uh, that the first characteristic that is mentioned is that this is a life that is marked by humility. Humility is, uh, is having a correct estimation of yourself. It is biblically, it's thinking high of yourself, but not too high. It's remembering that you have an incredible status as a child of God. You are a child, a son or daughter of the King of Kings, that you have been given incredible ability, incredible power to do beyond what you could even think or imagine. But at the same time, realizing that you are not invited into this family because of anything that God saw in you. It wasn't like God's like, I have to have this person no matter what. And the abilities that you have have all been given to you by God. It's not something that you have built up yourself. And so that's what humility is. It's realizing that you have a great status, great ability, but everything that you have and everything that you are has been given to you by God. Therefore, there's no reason for boasting whatsoever. There's no reason for thinking that you are all that. Today what we're going to do is we're going to look at the three remaining foundational characteristics of gentleness, patience, and forbearing love. So let's read our passage and we will jump right in. He says this, I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. This ends the reading of God's word. Uh, We cannot comprehend this or have it change our lives 
unless the Holy Spirit is present to do that. So let's seek him right now. Uh, Holy Spirit, we just ask right now that you would do heart surgery on us, that you would cut us wide open. Lord, I know that some of the stuff that I'm going to say right now will definitely penetrate into our heart. Our hearts will make us feel uncomfortable as we start to think about relationships that we have with others in the church. I pray, God, that we would not ignore your Holy Spirit's prompting. Uh, I pray that you would give us uh, a true unity in this church. I pray that we would truly walk in humility, in gentleness, in patience, and in forbearing love, Lord, to your glory and for the good of your church. Do this, we ask, and we pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Gentleness, patience, and forbearing love, I would submit to you, all flow from a humble heart. They flow from humility. Uh, a truly humble person will manifest uh, that humility in their gentleness towards others, in their patience towards others, and in uh, their forbearing love for one another. So I wanna look through these uh, final characteristics here, uh, and let's start with talking about gentleness. Now, when you hear someone, he's a gentle person or she's a gentle person, we might erroneously think that that means that they're a weak person or they're a timid person, uh, but that's far from how the Bible defines what gentleness is. Uh, gentleness has nothing to do with weakness, has nothing to do with timidity uh, or indifference or cowardice, okay? The word that's used here <coughs> for Gentleness means to be mild-spirited. It means to be self-controlled. It's the opposite of vindictiveness or vengeance. The word was actually used in the first century. Um, it was used of wild animals that were tamed, okay? Wild animals that were tamed, especially of horses. And I know there's a couple of horse people uh, in this church, but if you've ever seen uh, a horse that is taken out of the wild, and then is broken or tamed, they're a completely different animal. But here's the thing about that, is it doesn't diminish their strength, right? It's like this horse used to be strong and fast, but now they're tamed and so now they're weak and frail. No, that's not the case. They maintain that strength, right? They maintain that ability to run fast, but now it's just under the control of the trainer or of their master, right? They run just as fast, but now they only run where the master tells them to run. They're just as strong, but that power is used for the master. It's under the control of the master. So here's what gentleness is, okay? Gentleness is power under control, okay? Gentleness is power under control. Biblical gentleness is power under the control of God. It is all of our power under submitted to the control of God. The Christian's life who is characterized by gentleness is a life of great power under the control of God, the ability to do beyond what you could even think or imagine under the control of God. And just like humility, gentleness uh, was not a character trait that was encouraged in the first century under the Roman Empire at the time when uh, Paul was writing this letter. In fact, uh, at this time, Rome was being ruled by uh, what was known as the emperors. The, uh, the Republic had been done away with. 
uh, under a man uh, by the name of Julius Caesar. And if you've ever read the story of Julius Caesar, you would see a man who was far from humble, a man who was far from gentle. Uh, he used his power to conquer people. Whenever he was challenged, he just dug in. It was all about him. It was all about his image. It was all about promoting uh, Julius Caesar. That's what it was about. If you look at his life, actually, you would see that his life was one of power out of control. And as a result of that, what ensued after he had he died was uh, several, uh, like a couple centuries of uh, rule by emperors who were far from gentle, far from humble. Uh, emperors like Nero and Caligula uh, and uh, Domitian, several others who were far from humble, uh, far from gentle. This is the context in which Paul is writing this letter to the Ephesians. He's telling them that they have incredible power in Christ. And then he's talking, telling them at the same time that they need to walk in gentleness, that power needs to be under uh, control. Uh, speaking about those Roman empires and just the, the, what was uh, looked at as characteristics that you wanted in the first century, uh, you didn't want humility, you didn't want stuff like gentleness. I look at our own culture and I think we're not far from that. The same is true uh, today in the world and in the church as well. The world is filled with pride. The world is filled with out of control power. I think of, I was thinking about this this past week, uh, about two years ago, the, what was known as the Me Too movement was in full force. And uh, you can think what you want to of it, but there was a lot of positive things about that because what was happening is that in the Hollywood industry and in the, in, uh, in the entertainment industry is that the powerful were exploiting the weak. Uh, many young women's lives were ruined as they wanted to get maybe roles in different movies or, or whatever, and they were told, if you wanna do that, then here's what you have to do. And so uh, sexually exploited people, okay? Taking power, that's power out of control. And it's not confined to the, uh, to the entertainment industry. We see this in politics as well. We see this in the business industry also. Uh, people who are driven by sex, people who are driven by political uh, power, people who are driven by money will step on, use, and manipulate anyone to achieve what they want. Unfortunately, we also find this in organized religion and even sadly in the church as well. Uh, think about uh, what you know about even the history of religion. How many cult leaders have risen up and completely brought their followers under their power, controlling their every move, controlling their every step, causing them to live in, in fear? Uh, and how many people in the name of Christ have done the same as well? I was thinking about prior to the Reformation, uh, the Roman Catholic Church, they used their, their power uh, to really keep people living in fear. If you don't give to the church, can't guarantee that you'll go to heaven. If you don't give to the church, if you don't give money to the church, can't guarantee that your, your uh, family members who have passed on, they're probably gonna stay in purgatory for another hundred, a couple thousand years. They cause people to live in fear. They use their power, uh, their titles of priest and bishop and pope, to, uh, to keep people in suppression under their power. Even recently uh, in the Roman Catholic Church, um, some of the priests have used their power to exploit people sexually as they've abused uh, young boys. 
but it's not confined to the Roman Catholic Church. Protestant pastors in churches, in evangelical churches, they are subject to the same thing, using their power um, uh, to, to exploit people, uh, to keep people in suppression. Uh, leaders who, who look kind, I've heard so many about a number of leaders who look kind and really uh, caring on the outside, but when people start to talk about how they lead their church behind scenes, how they run their staff meetings, they're mean, they're tyrannical, they're very abusive, verbally abusive to people. But on the outside, they'll come up on the stage and they'll just put that face forward that, no, everything is good, but yet they're using their power to keep people um, in, in submission to them. Others, sadly, we, we hear more and more stories lately about others who uh, appear to be living lives of morality on the outside, and yet they use their power to exploit others, uh, and sometimes in, in a lot of ways, but sometimes in sexual ways as well. I just want to submit to you that that is the opposite of biblical gentleness. It is the opposite of what we're called to do. Uh, these kinds of actions from people in the supposed church of God, leaders in the church of God, um, those kind of actions separate people in the church. Um, they are antithetical to the teachings and example of Jesus. And just like uh, humility, uh, just like with humility, uh, Jesus is our best example of gentleness. Okay, Jesus is our best example of gentleness. If you want to see power under control, you look at Jesus. You've heard the, the saying, right? Absolute power corrupts absolutely. Well, I submit to you that if you want to see absolute power under control, then you look to Jesus because he was in absolute power. And yet that power was controlled as he lived his life out on uh, this earth as a human being. That power was under the control of the Holy Spirit of God. Imagine the people that we just gave examples about, Nero and other people, if they had absolute unchecked power. Imagine what a disaster this world would be right now. It wouldn't even be in existence. But in Jesus, what we had, uh, what we have is we have the all-powerful, infinite, all-knowing, everywhere, present God humbling himself, taking on human flesh so that he could reach out to sinful, fallen, weak, helpless human beings like us. This is gentleness. That is power under control. In fact, in Matthew eleven twenty nine, 29, here's how Jesus describes himself. He says this, take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle. That's our word. I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. This is the God of the universe saying that I am gentle and lowly of heart, and you will find rest for your souls. Just as a little side note, here's what I want to say. Those people in the church who are truly reflecting the humility and gentleness of Jesus are those people who bring the most refreshing to other people's souls in the church, okay? Those people who are harsh and tyrannical don't bring refreshing to people's souls. It's those who, who, who exercise the character of Jesus, humility and gentleness that bring refreshing. So Jesus claimed to be gentle, and then he really did demonstrate this in his earthly ministry. I was thinking about this. How many people during the first century came up to Jesus in his face, 
hateful, really telling him, I wish that you were dead and I'm going to do everything in my power to kill you. People coming up into the face of God Almighty. And Jesus could have shut their mouths forever, right? He could have made their tongues disappear. He could have sewed their lips shut so that they never talked again. And yet he didn't. And then thinking about the, uh, the crucifixion, as they shoved a crown of thorns on his head, they put a robe on his back, a purple robe, and then they bowed before him mockingly and said, Hail, King of the Jews. He could have rooted their knees into the ground so that they never rose again, right? He could have done that. And then you know the story. I love it when he's in the garden and he's praying just before the crucifixion, and 500 Roman soldiers come into the garden to beat him and his followers into submission in case they resist. And Jesus steps out and he says, who are you looking for? And they say, Jesus of Nazareth. And he says, I am. And all 500 of them fall back like they're dead. He could have killed them all, but he just let them know who they're dealing with, and then he let them carry on with their business. People, that is power under control. When Peter saw this, Peter's like, there's no reason being taken if we got this kind of power in our corner. And so Peter took up a sword, and he was ready to take on all 500. He got as far as cutting off one guy's ear, right? And Jesus stopped him and said, Peter, stop. Put your sword away. And then Jesus, what he did is he healed the guy who Peter cut off his ear. He healed him. And then Jesus looks at Peter and says this. He asks him this question in Matthew 26, 53. Do you think that I cannot appeal to my father and he will at once send me more than 12 legions of angels? Dude, I can bring all the hosts of heaven right here in a heartbeat. A legion was about 12, uh, 36 to 80, uh, 12 legions of angels was about 36 to 80,000 angels. And let me remind you that it took one angel to kill 185,000 of Sennacherib's soldiers. Imagine what 80,000 angels could do. No match for the heavenly hosts. And at the command of Jesus, Jesus was basically saying, as the angels, you can see them ready. Give us the word, give us the word, and we'll take out this rebellious humanity. And Jesus was basically saying this, stand down, stand down. People, that is power, power under control, under control. So this is the same kind of power that you and I are called to characterize towards one another. So let's talk about what this power looks like in the church specifically, because this letter was written to the church. Uh, it applies here first. You need to be practicing it here first, practicing it in your families, and then in the family of God, and then uh, to the outside observing world. So let's talk about what it looks like here. And we'll start with uh, the leaders in the church. Maybe you're in a position of leadership in the church, uh, leading a ministry or, or what have you. If you are leading that ministry, realizing that your authority and any power that you have comes from God, it comes from uh, the head of the church, Jesus himself, uh, and you don't use that power uh, for your own personal advantage, but you're always using it for the glory of God and the good of his church, if you use that power in that way, then you are walking in gentleness. 
Your power is under the control of the Holy Spirit. I have great power and I can only exercise it as God tells me to move out. If, you, if that is your attitude, then you are walking in gentleness. If, however, you use that power to satisfy your own selfish ambitions, to present yourself uh, in the church, to manipulate others, to instill a, a sense of guilt in them, you're not doing this. Shame on you. If you're using that power to do that, then you are not walking in gentleness. You are not reflecting the character of your Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. You are not reflecting the character of your heavenly Father, okay, who has invited you into his family. And don't think that this doesn't happen in every church to one degree or another. No church is immune from this. Everyone is subject to the temptation of Satan, okay? Um, when, we, uh, when, when most people get any degree of power, Satan is right there uh, to tempt them to abuse it for selfish gain. He's there to tempt them uh, to build themselves up and to tear others down. Everyone is subject to this. And if that's your attitude, if you're doing that right now, it is a sin, sin, sin. But this is not just confined to church leaders. This is really uh, uh, everyone, uh, like I said, is subject to this, whether you've been given a great degree of power in the church or whether you've been given a small degree of power in the church. Let me tell you what I mean by that. Usually when I do uh, premarital counseling, one of the things that I'll tell the couples is this, that over the course of the years, you will get to know this person better than anyone else. You will get to know what makes them happy. You will get to know what makes them sad. You will get to know what makes them angry. Now, if you take that knowledge that you've learned about them, their likes, their dislikes, what makes them happy, what makes them angry, and you use that for their benefit, for their building up, for their protection, for their encouragement, I'm, I'm talking coming alongside of them, knowing their weaknesses and saying, hey, what you're doing right now does not reflect the character of God. And I'm telling you this so that you can be more conformed to his image. If you use your knowledge of that other person for their benefit and the glory of God, then you are walking in gentleness. However, if you use any of that power, any of that knowledge that you have just gotten about them for your own selfish gain, for your own selfish purposes, because you know, you know, hey, I know how to get, you know, they, they just did this to me. I know what I'll do. I'll withdraw emotionally. That'll show them because I know that they need to feel loved and I'm just going to withdraw. That's power over them. That's power and that is sinful, sinful, sinful. Okay? But you know, you'll know what, what to do in those situations. And if you ever use that to manipulate someone emotionally or, or, or to tear them down, then you are not walking in gentleness. Okay, and this really applies to everyone. Uh, I'm gonna say in the church even, like the more you get to know someone, the more you, are, 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 you get to know their likes, their dislikes, what makes them happy, what makes them uh, sad, what makes them angry, you can use that to your own advantage. You can start to manipulate them. I know, I can, I can make them feel so guilty right now if I do this, if I say this. I can guilt them into this. If you do that, you are, you're reflecting the character of Satan, and you're not reflecting the character of God, okay? So just wanna, you know, it, it doesn't matter. You'd be like, well, I'm not in a position of authority. You can have power in anyone's life if you know what their weaknesses are. And so that power needs to be used for the glory of God. 
So that's gentleness. So out of humility flows gentleness, and I think right along with gentleness comes patience. Patience is the ability to be wronged over and over again, to have it in your power to retaliate, but to never do so. So you could say that patience, in a sense, is also power under control, right? Because you have the power to retaliate. You can really lay into this person, but the patient person says, I will not do this. To have someone intentionally or unintentionally wrong you, and for you not to take offense at that, is to walk in patience. Okay? It's to walk in patience towards them. To not get your own way when you really want your own way and you think that you're right and to be okay with not getting your own way is to walk in patience. As I was thinking about this, and this is really where it comes down to it, and um, I know that Satan can tempt us to come in here and just fulfill our religious duties, right? We sing some songs, we give, and then we listen to a sermon and we're gone, right? I really want you to listen to this because this is a huge problem in the church. We really get irritated with each other very, very quickly, right? We do. Um, this, this character trait is so badly needed in the church and very often so, very, uh, so lacking in the church. Uh, very often, we, even as Christians, um, we live, and I'm going to get really up in your face right now, right? We really live as if the world revolves around us. We really live as if the worst sins that were ever committed in the history of mankind were sins that were committed against us, right? That's how we live. That's how we act. How quickly we lose our patience with those around us, even for sometimes seemingly the smallest of things, right? They didn't give me the attention that I deserve, right? Uh, they, they said something that I didn't like. It sounded mean. Even though it wasn't intended to be mean, that's how I took it. They offended me. They seemed to be ignoring me. Or, or on the other end, this person just talks and talks and talks and talks, and, and they never give anyone a, a chance to get a word in. Or this person always thinks that they're right. It's always got to be their way. And what happens is that we start to, to, uh, to, to build up anger towards this person. We become impatient with them. We get so easily irritated, even with those who are our brothers and sisters in Christ. And here's what I want to say. If, you're, if you get irritated with your fellow brothers and sisters in Christ and you're tempted to hold a grudge, it may be because you are living in a selfish way at that point, okay? I'm gonna say always, there's reasons why you should get angry with people when they're living in sin and refuse to repent. That's a righteous anger, right? Um, when they're mocking or misrepresenting God, that's a righteous anger, okay? Uh, but let me ask you this, what irritates you most about others? Is it that they mock or misrepresent God, or is it they, that they mock or misrepresent you? Is it because they're not doing what you think God wants them to do, or is it because they're not doing what you think that they should do? And I would say for most, if not all of us, it's the latter. And here's what I also want to say. I know, I know as well as I know my name, that there are people in this church who have been or are currently irritated with me. I know that. Like, I'm, I'm not, I got one in the back. Um, anyway, I know, 
that there are people in this church who have been irritated with me because of something that I have said or haven't said or because of something that I've done or haven't done. And I'll just shoot straight with you. There are people in this church who I have been irritated with and are currently irritated with, right? Because of things, yes, because of things that they have said or haven't said or because of things that they have done or haven't done. This is, this is, Satan loves, you do realize this, Satan loves to divide, right? He loves to divide. He loves to just put someone up in front of us and point out all of their negative characteristics and say, this person said this, this person did this, this person didn't do this, this person didn't say this. Hate them, hate them. This person is the enemy. And he loves to divide us because he knows that if he can divide us, he can make us weaker. And if we are weaker, we are less effective. That's the bottom line. I've used this illustration before. I think it's a great illustration, is the fact that you take the, uh, the armed services, right? We have the Army, Navy, Air Force, and Marines. If, we're, if they're all engaged with one another, if they're fighting in concert with one another, the Army knows its place and is executing that. The Navy knows its place and is executing that. Man, it is a fine oiled machine, right? But could you imagine if the Marines were like, ah, the Navy always gets to do this. We don't like that. And they start to fight against them, right? We're going to lose, right? We're going to lose because we're fighting against each other. People, we have been called into a greater battle than a physical battle. We've been called into a spiritual battle. And we're weak and we're, we're losing a lot because we're fighting against each other. That's what we're doing. You irritate me. You make me mad. So I'm going to hold a grudge. I'm not going to join arms with you and work with you. And we fight against each other. And this is why over and over in the Bible, we're going to talk about this next week, that Jesus is unified, unified, unified. I, I died so that they would be one. And yet, nah, not with that person. Not with that person. And we fight against each other. And we're, we're weaker, we're less effective. And so let me ask you, are you walking in patience regarding other people in the church or are you allowing anger and bitterness to set into your life? Once again, the greatest example of patience is Jesus himself. Actually, the entire Godhead, if you read the Old Testament, you would see that the Old Testament is a history of the patience of God. It is, right? He creates a perfect world. They immediately rebel against him. He puts into motion a plan to bring them back. He sends prophets among them, and they rebel and rebel and rebel. Who is the Lord? No, 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 we're done with him. No, we'll serve our own gods. We'll do whatever we want to do. Don't tell us how to live. And they fight against him, and God is patient over and over again, long-suffering over and over again. And while Jesus was here on earth, he was mocked, he was rejected, he was hated. And what did he do? He kept reaching out to them. He kept reaching out to sinners. And in fact, he's on a cross, and they're mocking him, and they want him to die. And he doesn't say, oh, Father, get them, oh, get them. He says, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing, people. That is patience, right? That is patience. How many times? Think about this. Please think about this, right? Because we're so tempted to get angry with people. How many times have you offended God? 
And let's take it one step further. Let's just take one sin in your life. You know what it is. There's probably five or six that you can list. How many times have you committed that one sin against God over the past 10, 20, 30 years, right? Over and over and over again. And here's the weird thing, right? You want God to forgive you, right? You want God to be patient with you. Oh, don't look at that, God. But as soon as someone offends you, oh, no, 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 I could never forgive that right? You have a mountain of sin before you and God, and God wipes it away, and then someone creates an anthill of sin, and you're like, oh no, I can never forget that. That's what we do. You know the, you know the parable in the Bible where Jesus is talking about that one guy who, owned, who owes this king uh, tens of millions of dollars, tens of millions of dollars. He could never, ever pay it back, and the king says, pay me what you owe me, and the guy says, I, I, I can't do it, please. I can't do it right now. Uh, have mercy on me, be patient with me. And what does the king do? He forgives him everything. And then this guy goes out and finds a guy who owes him about, uh, someone who owes him a little over a year's wages. And he says, pay me what you owe me. And he shakes him down. And the guy says the exact same thing that he just said to the king. He says, have mercy on me, be patient with me. And he says, no way, no way. And that's us, that's us. Our sin against God is huge. Our sin against one another is minuscule. I'm not saying that it's, it's not imp- that it's not important. It really hurts when someone offends you. But you have offended God. I've offended God over and over again. And his mercy is over and over again. It comes in like a flood. Once again, we want him to be patient with us, yet we're unwilling to be patient with others. If that's your attitude, I'm going to say you are not walking in patience. You're not walking in patience. You're not reflecting the character of your heavenly Father. Well, closely tied to patience is forbearing love, is that love that endures. We endure the shortcomings, uh, the selfishness of others, because we truly love them. That's why we endure those. Uh, It's very important at this juncture to remind you that love is not primarily a feeling, okay? Love is not primarily a feeling. It can manifest in feelings for sure, but love is primarily a choice. Love is an action, okay? For example, when someone has wronged you or is irritating you, you probably don't really have nice feelings toward them at that moment, right? But you can still love them. You can still love them. You love them when you follow Paul's purest definition of love in 1 Corinthians chapter 13. Um, Here's what we learn from there. You love them when you're patient with them. You love them when they wrong you over and over again. You have it in your power to retaliate and you don't do it. You love them when you do that. You love them when you seek, when you go out of your way to make their life, their day, their week just a little bit easier. Even if they're currently irritating you, you wake up in the morning, you say, how can I serve this person today? How can I take a burden off of them? You love them when you do that. You love them when you are not jealous of them. When you see them flourishing, spiritually speaking, right, even above yourself, you're not jealous of them. You're not like, I wish that they weren't following God like they were, right? And don't tell me that you haven't thought that before, right? You're just like, you see people and you become jealous of them. You love them when you're not jealous. You love them when they're walking so closely to God that they're set up as an example for others to follow. And you're like, yes, yes, yes. 
That's what they should be. You love them when you're not seeking recognition from them or to exalt yourself. You love them when you don't insist on having your own way. You love them when you don't keep a record of their wrong and hold a grudge against them. You love them when you are willing in love and kindness and gentleness to come and point out sin in their lives to say what you're doing right now does not reflect the character of our God who has given his life for us. You love them. And I know that in our culture today, and sadly in the church today, that to point out sin in anyone's life is unloving. You're not loving them. You can't tell them that what, what they're doing is wrong. And I'm gonna tell you, no, Jesus pointed out sin. God pointed out sin because he wants to conform us to his image. So you love people when you teach them the truth when you tell them that the way that they're walking is wrong. And you love people when you conceal their sin. And what I mean by that is this, you're not you know, brushing it under the rug, you're confronting it, but you're saying, I'm gonna do this in a private way. You told me this, we're gonna deal with this in a private way. I'm not seeking to, to humiliate you in front of everyone. I'm not gonna talk about you behind your back. No, I'm going to conceal your sin. We're going to deal with it. And you love them uh, when, when you believe the best about them, that, that you believe that they will hear from God, that they will repent. And you love them when after a couple of months or years, it doesn't seem like they're doing it, you hold on to the hope that, yes, you will repent. They will repent. You love them when you never give up on them, even though you may be tempted to give up on them. Right? This is the kind of love that we're called to. This is a huge love. I would say, sadly, if we were looking at a meter, right, we're supposed to go all the way here. We usually get to about here and like, oh, I'm done loving you. <laughs> like, no, you've crossed the line. Thank God that his love is inexhaustible, right? Amen. He never holds our sins against us. In fact, he took them all away, and now he ever lives, Jesus ever lives to make intercession for us. That's how he loves us. This forbearing love never fails. It's the kind of love that Jesus exercises towards us, and it's the kind of love that we should exercise towards one another. So let me ask you as we close, are you walking in humility? Are you realizing that all that you are and all that you have has been given to you by God and is to be used for his glory? Are you walking in gentleness? Are you realizing uh, that you have incredible power, but that power is only in, used in a godly way when it's under the control of the Holy Spirit? Are you walking in gentleness? Are you walking in patience, knowing that you will be offended by other people in the church? I can guarantee it, right? I wish it wasn't true, you know, but we're going to offend each other. We're gonna rub each other the wrong way. Are you going to be patient with others? And are you gonna say, man, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. Even if they're doing it intentionally, they have no idea what they're doing. Will you walk in patience? Are you walking in patience? Uh, are you, do you truly love people as Paul laid out in 1 Corinthians 13? Here's what I wanna say, this kind of living is so contrary to the world. It's so contrary to the world. This humility that we're talking about, this gentleness, this patience, this forbearing love, uh, it's, it's not readily found, if at all, in the world. And sadly, uh, in the church very often, it's not like it should be. 
In fact, uh, it, it's lacking. This kind of living, I want to say, this humility, this gentleness, this patience, this love, is only possible because of the power of the Holy Spirit that is given to us. I want to say this, you don't live this way in order to gain the favor of God. All right? I know Satan is working on some people right now. Man, I don't know if I'm a Christian. I better start doing this. No, you don't earn God's favor. You live this way because you have already been shown, shown God's favor. He's already reached out to you. But this, way, this, this kind of living is only possible because of the power of the Holy Spirit living in you. And if you're living this way, it's a reflection that the Holy Spirit is actually working in your heart. And so we as Christians, uh, we need to cry out daily that we would be more and more conformed to the image of Christ, that we would be, that our thinking and our words and our actions would be transformed to reflect the character of our heavenly Father. We need to cry out daily that, oh God, there's divisions. I'm angry with this person. I can't stand this person, or this person can't stand me. We need to be crying out, break down those walls of separation. Break them down. Well, if you're here today and you're not a Christian, if you're not following Christ, and maybe you don't even know what that means, you're not in his family, then this kind of living is impossible. It is impossible for you to please God. It's impossible because everything that you're doing is not for the glory of God. If you are attempting to live this out by being kind to people, by walking in humility, it's most likely for your own glory. It's so that other people will look at you and like you, or so that you will like yourself a little bit better. Okay? It is not for the glory of God. And plus, in the end, I just want to shoot straight with you, right? If you do not give your life to Jesus, then one day... God's patience will run out on you. When you pass into the next life and you have not given your life to Jesus, you will no longer experience the patience of God. You will be subject to his wrath. And you will be punished forever and ever. But here's what I want to say to you. We talk about the gospel a lot in here. The gospel is the good news. And the good news is that you can avoid the wrath of God. Okay, you can avoid the wrath of God. And how do you do that? You do that by believing in him. You do that by confessing that you are a sinner in need of a savior and that that only savior is Jesus himself. And you believe that Jesus came down to earth. He became a human being and that he lived the life that you could not live. He was humble where you're not, where you're filled with pride. He was gentle where we use our power in an uncontrolled way. He never lied, whereas we always lie. He was perfect, and he lived perfectly for you. And it's believing that he lived for you, and it's believing that he died for you. That when he was on that cross... What was happening was that he was being punished for every lie that you ever told, every selfish thought that you ever had, every bit of pride that you ever had. He was punished by the Father for everything that you and I ever did. And when you believe that, when you believe on him, all of your sins, past, present, and future are taken away. 
They're taken away. You are now a part of the family of God. And as a part of the family of God, you don't just sit back. You're commissioned into his service. He says, I'm so glad you're here. Get out there into the world and make disciples. There's so many other people who don't know of my goodness. They don't know of my love. They don't know of my forgiveness. Get out there and tell everyone about it. And all the while, as we do that, we're to reflect his character. I'm going to tell you what, Jesus said this, they will know you're my disciples by the love that you have for one another. Let's love each other. Let's walk in humility. Let's walk in gentleness. Let's walk in patience for the glory of God and for the good of Galveston and the world at large. Let's pray. Father, we thank and praise you for who you are. Lord, I know, oh, I know that Satan is here right now. And I know that he's got some of us thinking about what we're going to eat after church or what we're going to do this week or uh, the craziness of this life. And the temptation is for this to go in one ear and out the other. The other temptation is to say, ah, not this person. I can be okay with all these other people, but not this person. I just, I just can't bring myself to do it. And I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would give us no rest until we are unified, until we are walking in humility, until we're walking in gentleness and patience and forbearing love. Lord, do this. Do this so that Jesus Christ would be exalted, so that people would say, how in the world do you live like that? And we could say only one way. It's because of what Jesus has done for me, and he can do the same for you. Do this for your sake, and we pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.
that you would truly make these character traits evident in our lives, Lord, that they would be right at the heart of who we are. Once again, for your glory and the good of your church in this island and beyond, we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. I just have a couple of announcements uh, as we close. Um, I'm going to be preaching next week, and we're going to finish Ephesians 4, 1 through 6 here. And then we're going to be starting our summer series. It's a series uh, that we had a same title a couple of years ago. It was What the Bible Says About. Um, and so I'm going to give you a warning. This might be good news for some of you. I'm going to be preaching probably about four times over the next three months. Um, we have a bunch of people that we've been training internally in the church, and we're going to be covering topics, all sorts of topics from gender, gender roles, marriage, family, divorce, singleness, uh, uh, worship, and all sorts of things. And so I'm encouraged. Uh, it's been exciting seeing these guys develop in their preaching, and so they're going to be uh, coming uh, starting the first uh, Sunday in uh, June. So I'll be preaching about every three weeks uh, in the summer. So uh, second thing I want to say is this. Uh, next Saturday, uh, there's a group that's going to be going out onto the seawall, and we're going to be doing some street preaching. Alan and I are going to be doing the actual preaching, but there's going to be a group that's going to be engaging people in evangelism one-on-one. Uh, -on -one. Uh, people need to know Jesus. That's the bottom line. And so this is open to anyone who wants to come and join us. And you're like, no way. There's going to be a ton of people there from the church, so you're not going to be there uh, solo by yourself. Just want to encourage you to, uh, to join us at that time uh, to spread the good news. Uh, we're going to actually be meeting up here. That's a good question. We're going to actually be meeting up at the church at noon, okay? And then we're going to be hopefully hitting the seawall uh, about 1 o'clock. And we just really want to know where we should be. We're praying where we should set up so we can have the most captive audience. And we're just praying that God would uh, prepare hearts for people. So uh, once again, you're all invited. And the last thing I want to say is this. If you're here today 
and you are not a follower of Jesus, and maybe some of the things that I was saying were just hitting you, um, and you want to know how you can know Jesus, please come and talk to me or someone else that can introduce you to him. I will drop every other conversation that I am having and probably offend someone if I do that. But anyway, um, your eternal uh, soul is is important, and I want to let you know that I, I want to talk to you. So uh, receive the Lord's benediction, and then we'll have our closing song. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you his peace both now and forevermore. Amen. Amen.